Ephesians 1, and we read the first seven verses this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And of course, having having considered verses 4 through 6 in, in the preparatory service last Sunday evening, we pay our attention now to verse 7 this morning. In whom we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you stand before this text, which is really a summary of the whole gospel, what will you say but, oh, for the riches of God's grace? How blessed are we who have redemption in our Lord Jesus Christ. How blessed are we who seen through that blood that flowed at Golgotha may rejoice that our sins are forgiven. So the apostle continues his doxology of praise begun in verse 3. Blessed be God. Amazing is the grace by which he has looked upon us in Christ, by which he has given us to Christ, and by which he has given his own beloved Son, his only begotten, for our salvation. For that redemption came through blood. Even the blood poured out and the body broken as as we partake of it in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this morning. So for a little while this morning, we hear the gospel of redemption through Christ's blood. Three points we consider. First of all, blessed redemption. Secondly, profound grace. And finally, great joy. Blessed redemption. The source of all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a very important term in Scripture. It was set before Israel in the Old Testament as the hope of their salvation. The term refers to deliverance by payment of a ransom. For instance, a man who was a slave could be redeemed by his nearest kinsman if the kinsman was able to pay the required price. That was law according to Leviticus 25. And that pointed to the redemption which which is at the heart of the doctrine of salvation. 
But that redemption pictured in the Old Testament found its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus confirmed this when he told his followers that he had come to do something that no one else could possibly do, namely, to give his life a ransom. So we read in Mark 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Redemption, therefore, comes against that background of a fundamental truth of Scripture, a deeply humbling truth that we have considered every man, woman, and child of the whole human race is in bondage as the result of sin. Romans 3 verse 19 tells us that the whole world lies guilty before God, exposed by his perfect law. There is none righteous, no, not one. And as we examined ourselves in the light of God's holy word this past week, We became very conscious of this truth too, didn't we? We had to be careful not to get caught up in our own introspection and to look to Jesus. Our sinful flesh bearing the marks of the old man makes very clear that by nature we lie in the bondage of sin and death. That's the sentence of God's justice. He's simply doing what he said he would do if we walked contrary to the just requirements that he gave us. We broke his law, we pay the penalty. So to complete that figure of being imprisoned in sin and death, we ought also to remember that God gave the key of that prison to Satan, to the devil. The whole human race is in the state of slavery, of bondage to sin and to Satan. That's the fundamental teaching of of Holy Scripture, the whole Bible, concerning our sin, our spiritual state and condition, except by faith we belong to Jesus. We are all by nature under the law and in a state of condemnation. And as if that were not bad enough, we don't even feel bad about being in that bondage. We can't conceive of anything else by nature. We can't even conceive of freedom from that prison. In fact, we don't even look at it as bondage. We begin to think about it as pleasure. That's the extreme foolishness and deceitfulness of sin. It isn't only that we can't free ourselves from that bondage, but we don't even have a desire to be delivered. But the point that must be emphasized here in connection with redemption is this. We don't have the right to be delivered. And that must be emphasized. We have no right to be freed from sin and death. God has condemned us. God has justly placed us in bonds. He has killed us. 
Spiritually, we are dead in trespasses and sins. According to the sentence of God over us, over all of us. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, something absolutely amazing has taken place. In him, the in whom refers to Christ, in him we have redemption. That means not only that we are now freed from those shackles of sin, the shackles of our captivity to sin, but it means more particularly he gave us the right to that freedom. Redemption is deliverance, to be sure, but it is deliverance with emphasis on the right to be delivered. Our liberation took place, therefore, according to strictest justice. God's justice was satisfied. That's redemption, so that the law can no longer condemn us. Jesus Christ came into this world in order to redeem those who were given him of the Father. He came to bring to fruition that eternal decree of election, which we considered earlier in this chapter. He came in order to pay the ransom price that would set us free, that would secure our liberty. And the result is that there is no power that can ever legally hold us and claim us and embrace us by bondage. Sin cannot have dominion over us anymore. The law itself proclaims us free. That's our blessed redemption. And this redemption has taken place through his blood, the text tells us. Notice that's exactly the emphasis here. And this is the gospel. Salvation is through blood. And specifically through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who, would over, those who would reject the Old Testament for its blood theology overlook the fact that the same emphasis is found in the New Testament. We find it again in the second chapter of this epistle, verse 13, where we read, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, John writes in 1 John 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So this blood theology is consistently on the foreground in the gospel of our salvation. And this is to show that what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us by his death is in line with all the Old Testament doctrine concerning the sacrifices and redemption itself. He's the fulfillment of all the types and shadows 
All the sacrifices and offerings pointed to him. And those elements of the Old Testament law and ceremonies that pointed to Christ very clearly taught that God's justice had to be satisfied, that propitiation had to be made. So the writer to the Hebrews said in chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is no remission of sin. It's the death of Christ by the shedding of his blood that satisfies God's perfect justice and gives us this blessed redemption. We are saved in Christ and in him alone, not by his teaching, not by his example, but by what he has done, by what he has accomplished, and by what God did in him and through him. Jesus paid the price of our redemption, and that price was his own precious blood. In connection with the last part of verse 6, we see that this redemption is God's work. He is the one who made us accepted in the Beloved. And he did so according to his sovereign counsel, his eternal decree, Blessed be God, he has taken your sins and mine and laid them upon his beloved son. That's the way in which we are saved. That's the only way of our redemption. By the shedding of his blood, God, Jesus Christ, obtained from God the right to execute his counsel in the deliverance of his people. And he executed that right. He exercised that right. Having redeemed us through his blood, he actually cut and tore asunder the shackles of sin and death which held us, delivering us by his Spirit unto perfect righteousness and freedom. That's redemption through Christ's blood. Let's lay hold of this gospel this morning also as we come to the Lord's table by faith. What profound grace. This redemption is recognized as the forgiveness of our sins. With this redemption, we have forgiveness of sins. This is the only way we can rejoice in this redemption. We have that redemption but we are conscious of it and rejoice in it only as we taste the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what we confess above all else as we come to the table of the Lord this morning. If anything is emphasized in the Lord's Supper, it is this, that we rejoice in our salvation only when we lay hold of Jesus Christ by faith and have the forgiveness of sins through Christ's righteousness. Because our sins would always hinder us from the enjoyment of that redemption. Because our sins are so real to us, aren't they? They trouble us greatly, don't they? They should. We are sorry for them. We should be. 
We are. And when we are sorry for them, we strive against them. We do. And once we begin to see the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, when we realize what it is to sin against God, if we have come to some consciousness of that in this past week of self-examination, then we certainly realize that the forgiveness of our sins is the greatest blessing that God has given us in this life. The enjoyment of redemption begins with forgiveness of sins. That's no easy matter. Don't think that forgiveness comes easy. When we think that our sins are just some minor error and that God will quickly forgive them over, by overlooking them, then we show we don't know the forgiveness of sins. Sin cannot be dealt with in that way. It can't. The word sins in this text is literally trespasses. And that speaks of those deeds of the mind and will and desires and heart and mouth and feet and hands and appetite and lust that violate God's law, his perfect precept. Notice then, That God's way of forgiveness is a way that first of all exposes to that sin to our own consciousness. That immediately tells us something about the profound nature of forgiveness. Our tendency, you see, is to cover up our sins in order that, that we not be seen for what we are. Sin can't be dealt with that way. So God first exposes it, unmasks it, pinpoints it. And he does that with the scalpel of his word of truth. That's why our confessions speak of the preaching of the gospel operating as the chief means, not only of grace, but of discipline. Before we lay hold of the blessedness of forgiveness, we must realize something of the enormity of our sins. And it's at the cross that we see that. At the cross, where the blood of Christ is poured out, we see sin for what it is. It's something so horrible so offensive to God that it necessitated giving up his only begotten son, his beloved, in order that that son might suffer the contradiction of sinners against himself and shed his own blood as a willing sacrifice. The cross, therefore, condemns us before it sets us free. And that's why the preaching of the cross and of Christ crucified is such an offense to the natural man. 
the unregenerated person. Sin is so terrible. Our sin is so vile that nothing could deal with it but the blood of Jesus. The cross, you see, was not a patching over. Certainly wasn't a covering up of sin. It wasn't sweeping sin under the rug. It wasn't a matter of of God saying to sinners, don't worry, all is well. Oh no, God is just. The cross is showing us our sin as it is, exposing it by the fiery light of his wrath, and then dealing with it. But the result of that shedding of Christ's blood is the forgiveness of sin. Christ bore our punishment. Our trespasses have been paid for in full. Our guilt, which incurs just judgment and condemnation, is now fully removed. Just think of what that means for us. Think of what this forgiveness of sins means for us who are daily bothered by the sins of our mind and will and tongue and all our members, that horrible mountain of guilt which we could never remove is gone. That power of corruption from which we could never deliver ourselves, that sin that held us in bondage, that had dominion over our whole being, over our minds, our wills, our our hearts, every move we made, those bonds have been broken. We are free. That death that embraced us and from which there was no escape, spiritual death, physical death, everlasting death, that death has now been swallowed up in victory. That's forgiveness. Another forgiveness there is not. Forgiveness in the way of strictest justice. Forgiveness by the shedding of Jesus' precious blood. Forgiveness full and free. No wonder the text speaks of the riches of God's grace. What is it that makes this redemption, this forgiveness of sins possible? What is it that gives us, us, This blessed redemption, this profound forgiveness of sins, there's only one answer. It's grace. Amazing grace. How rich is that grace of God, our Savior? Our salvation from beginning to end is all grace. You see, the apostle now turns things around again and points us to God. That's where all the focus must be. We've been considering our great salvation. All right, we must do that too. But all must lead us once again to the focal point of all things. And that is God. Our God is gracious. He's beautiful. That's the literal meaning of that term grace. God is beautiful because of all his glorious virtues and that grace he has revealed to us 
the riches of his grace he has revealed to us. That's Jesus. Through his blood, he has enabled us to see the riches of God's grace. We see that too this morning as we stand before the table of the Lord's Supper. And as we partake with mouths of faith, the crucified body and shed blood of Christ, we say we have tasted the riches of God's grace. That grace abounds toward us. Toward us who are undeserving, who have forfeited all right to the enjoyment of his mercy. To us who are sinners, that grace has abounded. In whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What great joy this gospel gives us. It's obvious that to the Apostle Paul, this theme of the riches of God's grace filled his heart with unspeakable joy. The word grace often calls forth superlatives from the mouth of the Apostle whenever he speaks it. To think upon the grace of our God, the riches of of his grace, so gripped Paul's soul that it constantly amazed him and moved him to praise. Shall we receive that gospel with the same joy? When the Lord's Supper is administered presently and we see and partake and understand the significance of that holy ordinance, and what it signifies and seals to our souls, we shall indeed celebrate the Lord's Supper, discerning the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This most solemn ordinance, with its elements that speak of God's holiness and wrath and justice, also reveals the love of God and grace immeasurable. It reminds us of how we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And therefore, also today, as the gospel and the signs and seals of the Lord's Supper added to the preaching of the word, overflows into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we say, O oh God, how good thou art to me. Take these words upon your lips, shall you? Don't say, there is forgiveness of sin. Don't say, there is redemption in the blood of Jesus. Speak the language of the text. The text says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. We have the forgiveness of sins. Yes, we say this by faith. This great joy is ours by faith. Faith is the power by which God grafts us into Christ and makes us one with him. 
and being one with him, we know that he has forever carried away all our sins and guilt. We are told about ourselves in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 that we are not our own but have been bought with a price. Therefore we now glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits, which are His, because we are redeemed. We are the Lord's property, His possession. We belong to Him. And by faith we lay hold of this gospel and confess that we have redemption through his blood. And therefore, by faith, we express our joy exactly by saying, Thanks, Lord. Thanks for thy unspeakable gift. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, In Christ, we have tasted the riches of his grace. Amen. Heavenly Father, with amazement we hear the gospel of our salvation. And our hearts rejoice that thou in thy tender mercy should look upon us in Jesus Christ and give thy Son to redeem us from all our iniquities. And Father, as we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, grant that we not profane that sacrament, but partake of it in faith, looking to Thee in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.